So, Lord God, we thank you that you are not a stranger to our pain. You're not a stranger to our hurt, and you're not surprised by it. But from the very foundation of the world, you saw it. You even planned for it and planned to enter it. And uh, not that we would find the way, but that the way would find us. And so, Lord God, we thank you that you are good and that you reveal your goodness in the very places of our darkest shame. So, Lord God, would you do that now? Would you shine your light on us as we bring ourselves uh, into this place and call upon you? Would you reveal yourself? And thank you, Lord God, that um, you're the one that calls first, not us. It's you. You are good. And so in Jesus' name, we ask that you would speak to us. Amen. Hey, this morning, um, I'm really uh, excited to introduce you to someone. You don't need this. Do you, did you want this, Mark? Are you going to put that right there? Okay, you put that right there. This guy, that's the guy I was talking about. This is Mark Clay, or Mark, Mark Bell. Mark Clay was playing the bass. Sorry, Mark. Um, but anyway, we're going to try to name all the men in the church Mark so that I will know everybody's name. Um, first but, name, yes, apparently. first name. Yeah. But anyway, Mark uh, has been a huge gift to our church in the last few months because he actually uh, built the stage we're staying on. So if it weren't for the stage, we'd fall down, break our leg. Who knows what else might happen? He's pulled together a whole bunch of this building. So uh, Mark is kind of our build, our building go to guy. First is that what thing. we call, yeah. you know? But that's not the best part of Mark's story. Um, best part is probably Mary and Austin. They're right over there. Can we introduce Mary and Austin? That's Mary, Mark's wife, and Austin, his son. Um, Mark also has two other children, boy and a, and a girl. Yep. And uh, Mark and I have a real similar background. Uh, a lot of the same places, same people. A few, a few months ago, we went out for coffee. And Mark just shared some of his story. And then he shared an incident that happened to him. And I just said, wow, Mark, it'd be so cool if you could share that with the whole church one day. So that's what he's going to do right now. So, Mark, go ahead and do you want to sit down? And sure. I'm going to kind of interview him Francis style. I learned this from Francis. All right. So um, he's prettier than you are. Uh, yeah, I know. But I, I cut my hair yesterday. So I, hopefully that will help. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, Mark had some, you, you expressed some reservations about sharing your story. Yeah. And I said, well, why don't we, you just tell us what the reservations are right here at the start? Sure. Um, I mean, other than um, just the, the usual, you know, not wanting to reveal stuff about yourself, there, there's a couple things that are a little more global that were on my mind. One of them is, is what I call the, the traps of religion. Um, and there's two, and they, they, they work opposite ways, and that's, you know, I've had a given experience or I have a given understanding that I'm, I'm really pretty sure is right, and, and Fuzzy, you need to have that same understanding. Uh, you know, Barry, you got to have the same experience that, that I did, so there, there's a, a coercive element to, to that one trap. The other is where, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, uh, Lynn, you have such a cool prayer life. I, I wish I could be like you. And when we, we look at other people's experience or other, other people's understanding and we want to appropriate that. Um, and then we end up being untrue, I think, to ourselves. Um, elements of my story, I'm sure, are going to feel real familiar to some people and some parts of it are going to just be flat out 
strange. Um, and, and that's the way it needs to be. I, I like to think of our spiritual lives as, as like art or music. We went to a really good exhibition a couple of years ago at the Denver Art Museum, and it was called Becoming Van Gogh. Um, and, and rather than just like all these paintings kind of hung and you walked around and went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it walked you through Van Gogh's entire development as an artist. And you started with him as a young man, uh, training actually as a draftsman, and then all these different places and influences and other artists that, that became part of Van Gogh's art. Van Gogh didn't just sit down and, and you know, wham, there, there was Starry Night. It was a, a conglomeration of a lot of things. But what really makes that work of art so powerful is, is it's uniquely Van Gogh. And, and so I think each of us needs to be busy um, creating our own work of art uh, in our life and, and in our spiritual life. And I guess the other thing I want us to all, and, and I probably mean myself as much as anybody to be careful of, is as humans, we, we seek to learn patterns. That's, that's how we work. And, and most of the time, that's a really good thing. We want to we wanna see the patterns, we want to understand the patterns, and we want to control the patterns. And that's a great thing. Because somebody figured out how to make concrete and bricks, and we're sitting in this, this really cool building. Uh, but, but God, uh, whatever we may mean by that term, is not a pattern to be studied and learned and controlled and, and manipulated for our own ends. He's certainly not an object. Uh, to, to use our technology on. So those are a few of my hangups. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate that because growing up in the church, being a pastor's kid, that would happen over and over again. Someone would share their testimony. I'd stress that I need to be like them or something would work and then I'd want to brag about it. And I think all of us sort of live with that tension in community and don't realize that each one of us is a unique piece of art. So even last night, after you shared your story up on the mountain, I drove home thinking, man, I should do that thing. That, and then I thought, well, wait a minute. I don't know that that's what God is saying to me mm-hmm. right now. So um, all of us come to this insecure. So let's just, on the count of three, I had people do this last night. On the count of three, say, I will not try to be insecure, Mark. Okay, ready? One, two, three. I, I will not try, try to, to be, be insecure, insecure Mark. Mark. Okay, so there you go. So tell us a little bit about Thank your you. background, which uh-huh. is real similar to... My background. Yeah, um, I grew up in Denver. I was raised in a, a liberal Methodist church. We went to Emmanuel Methodist at Downing and Yale over near Porter Hospital. Even then, it was an older congregation, but I mean, my memories of that church are, are real fond. Everyone was, remember, you know, feeling loved and accepted, and, and people were very kind. Um, Somewhere in, in early elementary school, uh, a neighbor up the street that was a, a member of a, of a more conservative congregation invited all the kids to, to vacation Bible school. And I remember sitting in, in the Herder's backyard, five or six houses from, from the house where I grew up, and Mr. Herder talking about how important it was for all of us to, to accept Jesus into our hearts. And, you know, as I look back on that, I, th- I think I was a little a little baffled because it had never occurred to me that Jesus wasn't with me. But I thought, well, okay, um, yeah, if that's what I need to do, sure, um, I'll sign me up. Um, growing up, I was active in the church. I, I was an acolyte. Uh, I was in youth group. Uh, we broke a couple of holes in the walls in the basement having races in the church wheelchair. Um, and it was really a, a wonderful community. But of course, as you become a teenager, you, you start looking for ways to rebel. Um, and really, 
there's not an awful lot you can do to, to tweak a community of very open-minded, pluralistic, liberal, tolerant people. Uh, but I found one. I, I found one. <laughs> and, and started moving in, in a much more conservative uh, direction. Um, it, it felt good at that point in time to, to have some things that I, I guess I felt like I could sink my teeth into and, and get a hold of. Um, so as, as a young adult and as, as an adult, I have, I have a really good Christian guy resume. Um, I mean, it kind of sounds impressive. I was a charter member of Christ Fellowship Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Fort Collins, which was a, a church plant started by, by Ed Davis, whom, whom you knew. Um, I, I met my lovely bride uh, in an evangelistic choir in, in college. Uh, I thought then, and, and I think now, that she is way out of my league, but please don't anybody tell her because she'll be impossible if she catches on to that. <laughs> we lived in Arizona for a while, um, and, and for the, most of this whole time, I was planning to become a, a pastor. felt like I wanted to become a pastor, and we went to a little... Baptist Church you know, when we lived in Tucson. I was actually licensed to preach somewhere in a file in my desk. I, I have a, a license, license to preach. A license to preach. Just like many people who have a license to drive, it may not be a real good thing. <laughs> we just leave it in the What's drawer. What's going good so far? Well, so, yeah. Do you have your license with you? I don't. Okay. All right. I That's, don't. So we'll just so keep I'll, it I'll leave it to style. you. Yeah. yeah. We'll just be conversational. Um, in, the, in the EPC, in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, of course, I was on session in the local church, which means you get sent to Presbytery. I went to, I don't know how many Presbytery meetings. I went to the Third General Assembly in St. Louis. Uh, Peter, that's, I met your dad there. Would have been probably 1983. Does that sound about right time-wise? Um, I was a part-time student at Denver Seminary for a couple of years, uh, trying to, to get a Master's of Divinity in the local church. I taught adult Sunday school. Uh, my friend Bruce McLeod, who had uh, a child the same age as Amanda, and I spent a couple of years ditching church uh, down in the nursery. I, I actually think that was a great, great use of my time. And we'd, we'd sit down there and, and take care of the kids and change diapers and swap lies, and it was great. Um, we had a food bank at the church. I, I worked in the food bank. Um, I had an old 1979 Dodge pickup, so I think that was how I got drawn into food bank work, because somebody's got to go bring all the stuff. Uh, ended up even running the food bank. Uh, led the praise team for a couple of years. Um, at different times with our kids, they were in Christian school. They were, they were homeschooled. I mean, I looked like Joe Christian. Yeah, you, you were like the... Uh, evangelical American Christian poster boy with Something. a license to preach. With a license with to a li preach. Yeah. And I mean, so, and so much of your story, Mark, I know so well because I know the same people. I know the things you were in. I know yeah. sort of the, the pressures. And you, you kind of think you figured out how to make this thing work. Mm -hmm. And what you told me was you got it all, all the pieces in the right order, supposedly when it would work. And it just wasn't working and you went to a really dark and dry place. Yeah. Um, you know, for years I, I struggled and a lot of the time, frankly, just wasn't even honest with myself. Uh, but, um, and you know, I don't know, can't make, say sort of facetiously, maybe nobody here can relate to this, but for years I struggled with feeling like I needed to be a better Christian. 
um, you know, so supposed strange. to read That's more Bible and spend more time in prayer and cuss less and, you know, be more patient with people and, you know, spend three nights a week at the church and wear more polyester. Uh, yeah. And, and that last point in particular, my heart just wasn't, uh, wasn't really into it. Um, but, but it looked good. Um, and, and I, I often compare kind of where I was to, to an old growth forest. You know, it's, it's kind of breathtaking to walk into a big, tall forest of, of old ponderosas, but a, but a forester or a, a biologist will tell you in an old growth forest, there's really not a lot of life. Um, it, it kind of looks good, but it's, it's mostly dry. Um, and in a lot of cases, really, really pretty near dead. Um, often, often felt angry. And as I became more aware of, of things that were bothering me, I, I began to kind of question some ideas, which, which is kind of a dangerous thing to start doing, yeah. uh, start pushing the door open. And, and one of the things that was really getting under my skin for, for a number of reasons, I'll share a couple, was, was this obsession with who's in and who's out, who's lost and who's saved, who's going to heaven and, and who's not. Um, I, I had a friend and, and colleague of, of another faith, um, and we were going through a, an incredibly difficult and painful time in our family. Um, and because that wasn't enough, I, I had a business that was failing at the same time. I remember one month, I, my, my pay was $247. I don't care how you budget, that's not going to work. And I kind of felt like the gopher in the whack-a-mole game. And I, I was getting the worst of it. Every time I popped my little head up, something would happen. And, and John would regularly from, from Southern Oregon call, and he would inquire about me, how I was doing, how I was feeling, inquire about the members of our family, and regularly assure me that he and his wife were praying for our, our family. Now, I've actually had people say, oh, you know, their prayers don't have any power. Um, I did a little thought experiment, okay? So does that mean if John and his wife were the only people on God's green earth praying for us, that, that God would be sitting up there going, la, 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 and, and it would be as if no one was praying for us. And I, I, I was angry and offended really by the implication of that, that, the idea that God doesn't listen to people that don't have a particular theology or, or you know, don't go to a particular building on Sunday morning. Um, and then it gets real personal, and I, I do have permission to, to pick on some family members here. Um, but uh, a, couple of, a couple of my kids have chosen in, in their own pursuit of the truth, uh, parents of young children, be warned, if you teach your children to think for themselves, they will. Um, so a couple of our kids don't, don't identify with, with the Christian church. Um, and, and, you know, the idea that, you know, because of that, somehow God's going to work some kind of separation. Um, somebody asked Will Rogers one time, do dogs go to heaven? And Will Rogers said, well, I really don't know. All I know is I want to go where the dogs go. Um, there's, there's a, a great lyric in a song by a band called Death Cab for Cutie, which is one of my kids' favorites. And again, parents of young children, don't worry, your kids will start dragging like flaming barf maggots around, you know, and listening to their music. But, but the chorus of the song um, goes, um, if heaven and hell 
decide that they both are satisfied and eliminate the no's on their vacancy side. If there's no one beside you when it's time to embark, I'll follow you into the dark. And so, you know, Austin, if, if the joke's on us and God turns out to be some kind of a com cosmic chemistry teacher um, and you flunk the final exam because you got the formula wrong, um, I'll be waiting at the door and you and I can go. All right. <laughs> well, I'm, and that just, it gets to my heart. It just gets to my heart. Um, Thomas Merton, one of my favorite writers, wrote, um, now anxiety is the mark of spiritual insecurity. It is the fruit of unanswered questions. But questions cannot go unanswered unless they first be asked. And there is a far worse anxiety, a far worse insecurity, which comes from being afraid to ask the right questions because they might turn out to have no answer. One of the moral diseases we communicate to one another in society comes from huddling together in the pale light of an insufficient answer to a question we are afraid to ask. Um, and I certainly see myself at points in my life <laughs> in, in that quote, and I was just sick of it. I really had had it. I was sick of the, the constructs, the ideas that I had. I was sick of the constructs of my mind. I was sick of the constructs of my culture. I was sick of the constructs, frankly, about my church, about the nature of reality and the truth. But I was afraid to start taking things apart. I was, I was afraid to disbelieve. There was a point where, where Mary and I spent a weekend at a conference in Arizona that um, had us challenge our beliefs and attitudes and assumptions. And like when you go into a theater, you go through a process known as the willing suspension of disbelief. You know that the people up there on the stage aren't the characters, and, but, but you set that aside to enter into the story and, and to, to gain from the story that, that's being presented. And so we were asked at the beginning of this weekend to check it at the door, whatever our ideas were about right and wrong and good and bad. And by the way, those are the things we often all end up arguing about, aren't they? Um, leave those at the door and, and just for 72 hours or however long it was, um, only ask ourselves the questions in terms of my beliefs, attitudes, and assumptions, do they work? And, and what they meant by work is, if you're doing A and you expect B, is B happening? Um, a verse that had been real important to me for, for a long time was James 3.17. that says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And quite frankly, my religious beliefs, attitudes, and assumptions were producing in me something quite the opposite of that wisdom in, in James 3.17. And, and so what does God do from time to time in an old growth forest to renew it? He burns that sucker down. He sends a lightning bolt and the forest burns so that there can be new growth happen and the forest will look different 
uh, afterward. And so that weekend was, was kind of like that, that lightning bolt, that spark that, that lit a forest fire. And, and I finally stopped trying to play Smokey the Bear and I was so tired and so angry with myself uh, that I wanted to just let the thing burn. Um, and I think I even threw a little extra gasoline on the fire because I really had had it right up to here. Yeah, so you had kind of built the perfect Christian life and followed the rules and the constructs mm -hmm. in your mind and then found yourself incredibly angry, maybe angry at God because God's love and yet if he does this to people that you love, that doesn't seem like love and angry at yeah. yourself because if God's the truth, then surely you could ask these questions, but you have to hide from the answers and you just get all twisted up yeah. inside and then the lightning hits the old growth forest and just burns you down to something sitting on a yeah. pile of dust and ashes. Yeah. Right? Ashes and stump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, so then what happened? Well, um, I, I had written in an email to a friend. Uh, once I had experienced the freedom from expending energy, trying to hold together a belief system that wasn't working, I wasn't sure that I wanted to accept anything again. I felt light and free from dogmatic theology, church culture, and pretense. Um, I could swear a blue streak and not feel guilty. If anybody needs a demonstration, ask me later. But I, I, I could cry with joy and, and really feel it deeply. Um, and I was afraid that believing anything again might actually take that away. I was afraid. Now I was afraid to believe. I'd been afraid to disbelieve. Now I was afraid to, to believe. Um, I started meeting with a friend uh, who was uh, studying spiritual direction. And it was actually kind of pretty shortly after that weekend. So I'm, I'm still in this, this turmoil. Um, and, and her process is, is very non-directive. You'd sit quietly for 10, 15, 20 minutes and just kind of let stuff bubble to the surface and then try to enter into a time of prayer and then just kind of talk about what are you feeling what, what what do you think God's saying to you that kind of thing and we're sitting there and boy oh boy I got nothing it was the snow on the the tv set between channels what <laughs> this you know and, and in the past, you would fake it at that point, right? But oh, now. I had a formula. Yeah. Yeah. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Oh, yeah. Lord, yeah. you are so great. Yeah. You know, we're all really impressed down here with how really big you are. Yeah. Um, but I, I was done. And, and I couldn't pray. I couldn't center. And, and we were sitting with our eyes closed. Um, and, and Laura, my spiritual director, uh, you know, suggested some, some different names for God. And, and I was done. I was done with trying to name God, identify God. And, and I began to have the sensation of just being in this complete storm of, of darkness, just felt like utter chaos, darkness, storm, noise. And in this storm, I, I became aware of the questions or I asked the questions. I don't know. There were, the, there were questions. You know, is, is, there, is there anything beyond, you know, what's material? Are we just, are we just atoms? Are we just chemistry? Um, is there anything that I would be willing to bet my soul on? Um, is anything eternal and transcendent? Is this all there is? And then, of course, the, uh, the sharpest, pointiest question of all, uh, 
do I have the guts to face the answer? And I don't know how long we sat. I, I really don't know how long we sat. But you know how it is sometimes, maybe if you're swimming in a lake, when your toes first, first find the bottom of the lake? And, and I began to, to sense some answers that, okay, no, I don't think we are just atoms. And I do think there is something transcendent. I, I don't know what to call it. Um, and then I realized that, that truth and beauty and goodness are eternal and transcendent. We have a ton of ideas, we have constructs, we have books about truth and beauty and goodness, which aren't truth and beauty and goodness, but truth and beauty and goodness, I, I realize, don't depend on me, they don't depend on what I think, what I think about them. Um, and I, I wrote a journal entry from that day um, that, that I'll read because I think it's important. It's been a number of years and you know over time our memories kind of tend to, mm -hmm. tend to twist things. So, so this, was, this was that same day I wrote, in that storm of darkness and noise, I called out for truth and beauty and goodness. Then I had a gentle sense that I was moving, walking towards something. I saw them just ahead of me and slightly to my left. I could keep going and, and would have been free to pass by. They were one and they were three, fiery, pure, and personal, with form and substance, but no identifiable shape. I heard them calling through the noise and storm and saw them beckoning through the gloom. I realized that holy fire, when close, burns to ash if resisted, but warms if yielded to. I called out, truth and beauty and goodness, take my hand. I reached out my left hand, which, by the way, I'm right-handed. I reached out in my weakness. I reached out my left hand, and it was enveloped in fire, and my heart caught in my throat. Ah, I am in the presence of the holy. I wept and broke and cried. Truth and beauty and goodness, take a frightened boy by the hand. Truth and beauty and goodness, permeate my being, flood the dark corners of my soul. I was utterly undone. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So you have this experience, you're in this dark place, you have this wild experience of encountering three flaming beings that you know somehow, you know, are truth and beauty and goodness. And you reach out in your weakness and they take your hand and you're undone. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So, <laughs> how does that change your, how did that change, how does that change your view of God? Well, I guess, you know, I, I began to realize that God is not this remote, uh, distant judge, not, uh, not some cosmic chemistry teacher, but uh, to borrow a phrase from Paul who borrowed a phrase, from, was it epi, epidural? Yeah, you said epidural, epimenides. Epimenides. Yeah. yeah. God is, is... You never want to borrow an epidural, by the way. No. But, yeah. Good. Okay. I'll remember that. God is, is he in whom we live and move and have our being. If, if God is, in fact, the very core of our being and our substance, then it is impossible to be truly separated from God. Just like a, a wave is made up of, of the ocean, a wave can't be separated uh, from the sea. 
uh, Martin Laird wrote that, that we experience separation. We all know what separation from God feels like. But our experience is not the same as, as the objective reality. Um, could, could, I, could I even like borrow a little Bible here? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Cause I, even, I like the Bible. Do you? Yeah. yeah. Good. Because um, even if we actively, actively try to separate ourselves from God, um, if we believe Psalm 139, 7 through 12, we can't. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Um, Anthony DeMello made, made a brilliant distinction, I think, between faith and belief. Belief is all the thought constructs that we have. Faith, DeMello suggested, is a willingness to follow the truth wherever it goes, regardless of the consequences. Um, can I quote Luther? Yeah, Martin okay. Luther's good too. Martin yeah. Luther's not too bad. Martin Luther said, faith is a lively, reckless confidence in the grace of God. Um, and there's, there's a story in the Bible too, the woman that wanted to be healed and was trying to catch up to Jesus. Um, and in spite of all of the societal, you know, stuff that she wasn't supposed to do, she reached out and pursued and took hold of, of the, the hem of Jesus's garment. And, and what was it he told her when she was healed that had healed her? It was her faith. And so she practiced what DeMello and Luther wrote about, which was a pursuit of the truth, regardless of the consequences and regardless of where it led. That's so fascinating. I think it's amazing, too, that, you know, if you talk to an atheist, they'll argue, well, it's not true that God is or whatever. And yet they'll they'll assume truth and we all assume goodness and we all assume beauty. And sometimes we think, well, I don't know where God is and God never talks to me. And yet if God, if Jesus said, I am the truth and and God is the good, well, you are encountering God all the time. The question is, well, well, whether you're reaching out in weakness and surrendering to him, which I think is a, that's, that's a beautiful description mm -hmm. of, of trust or, or faith. So that changed your view of, of God and it also yeah. changed the way you relate to God. You were telling me about your prayer life. Yeah, yeah, such as it was. Um, <laughs> I, had, uh, I had written uh, a letter to a friend and sort of described my prayer biography um, as going through somewhat in this order, prayer being an exercise, a duty, an obligation, a burden, something to avoid. Talking to my invisible friend, talking to the ceiling, talking to myself, something I question, something I feel bad about questioning, begging, pleading, weeping. It is a farce. It is an impossibility. It is an illusion. It's, it's something for other people, something that other people do. Now, crazily enough, prayer is how I stay sane. When, when I was trying to be a good Christian and follow all the formulas, 
I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand the effort. I might, ooh, I might have a New Year's resolution and have a quiet time two days in a row or maybe. Maybe for a whole week, I'd pray a little bit every morning. And it, it, simply, it simply never lasted. Um, and, and now that I've given up completely and thrown in the towel and decided that it doesn't make any difference at all, I, I spend 20 minutes almost every morning, certainly most mornings, in, in a quiet contemplative prayer where God and I just sit, don't have to say anything. Um, and it, it, it's completely wordless. Um, and, but it's kind of like breakfast, you know? I mean, I can skip breakfast, and sometimes I do, but I feel it later in the day. And it's that way now with, with the contemplative prayer. Some days I'm too busy. I got to get up or, you know, get here and let the plumbers in at 7 in the morning, and there's no time, and that's fine, but I, I feel it later in the day. Yeah. Aware that in him you live and move and have your being. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Quote epidural. So, um, well, you also, you also met, you've said it changed your view of Jesus, too, and the incarnation, what was going on there. So we're about to have yeah. communion, so yeah. it would be an appropriate time to talk about that. Do you think? Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously, if you're, you're struggling with, you know, ideas about God and is there a God, uh, the incarnation can be a pretty tough nut to, to crack, you know, not, not easy to get your arms around. But... Um, Again, this was about 13 months after that weekend experience and, and the forest fire. I had, I had written this following thing in my journal. I have, I've been wrestling with the idea of the incarnation. I think I've usually accepted it as a given, but it has felt strange to me. One day recently, I realized the following. One, God is infinite. Two, as an infinite being, no matter how much of himself he might give, there's always infinitely more. Three, we're obviously finite and we cannot contain or receive an infinity. Four, by taking on human nature, the word became flesh. It became possible for God to pour out his entire self to demonstrate his love. Five, he did. And I realized that the gospel it is a crazy, wild story about the extravagant love of God. Yeah, well, thank you, Mark. I am really grateful you'd share all that with us. And I, I love it because you, you talk about God revealing his love story for you and he's revealing his love story for each of us. And I think your story in some form is, is our story, the story of all of us. It's also uh, the story that's revealed in scripture. And uh, it's pretty cool that Jesus said, I am the truth. And he said, uh, no one is good, but God alone. And scripture talks about doing the beautiful thing that you can only do by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, God is uh, beauty, uh, goodness and truth. And, I th you know, and scripture then also says, well, he's love. He's a relationship of all those things. And God is a consuming, a consuming fire. And I think all of us. Uh, want to put him in a box. We want to put him in a box and make sure that he works for us and does what what we say. In fact, I think that's original sin. 
that uh, the, the evil one tempts us to say, hey, you can go take goodness from that tree and you can use that goodness to do what you want to do. Instead of surrendering to goodness, we make goodness uh, surrender to us. And then I think that's also the gospel. And that is that goodness, truth and beauty said, okay, y'all can put me in a box. And so he wrapped himself in flesh and we put him in a box called a manger. And he said, you want to nail me down? And he said, okay, you all can nail me down. And then on the night that he was betrayed by all of us, he took bread, truth, beauty, and goodness in flesh, took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take it, eat it. And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood. And uh, the Lord had told us for thousands of years, the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. He said, take this and drink it. And so you see, when you come to this table, you're confessing that you have done just as Mark did, just as I did, just as all humanity has done, just as Adam and Eve had done, that we want to take truth and goodness and beauty and put them in a box. Uh, we want to nail them down. We want to take control of them. And when we do that, we kill them and we kill us and we kill all things because truth, beauty, and goodness are life and love and joy. They're the consuming fire. And so when we come to this table, we confess our sin. That's what sin is. And then we proclaim the gospel that we ingest <laughs> the body and the blood of truth, beauty, and goodness, and he rises from the dead. And then instead of uh, demanding that God would surrender to us, we begin to surrender to him and even become his body, his laughing body, his dancing body, his living body in this world of ours. And so God makes us in his image. In the beginning, we were tempted to make God in our own image. And in the end, we'll see that God has made us in his image and we will be forever grateful. That's the gospel. And so we call you, he calls you to come to the table, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and uh, ingest it. I mean, I think a great picture is what you said, Mark. It's, well, there's truth, beauty, and goodness, and I can, I can walk by or I can reach out my hand. And when I reach out my hand, he's waiting for me to reach out my hand and envelops me in his fire. Uh, some of you may have an experience like that, like Mark had. Uh, scripture says if you believe love and you love, well, that's not just you. That's God. That's the fire, and it will grow. So may you trust, may you have courage, may you come to the table. And that's what you're doing when you're coming to the table. You're saying, that's, that's good, that's beautiful, that's truth. And I surrender, amen? So Lord God, we thank you that you destined us from the foundation of the world to worship your holy name. And to sing the song, even more than to sing the song, to become the dance, uh, to become the body of your love. Lord God, we're talking about stuff we could barely even, well, we barely even begin to conceive of. But Lord, you will undo us and you recreate us and you make us in your image. And we thank you in Jesus name. Amen.
So it's Thanksgiving uh, this week, and so if you're sitting around the table and you're thinking, dang, what do I have to be thankful for? Maybe it could be this, all right? Psalm 139, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be as night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, like a masterpiece, like a piece of art. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My fame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret places, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. And so in the beginning, truth, beauty, and goodness said, let us create, let us make, let us make man in our own image and likeness. And God spoke a word. In the Chronicles of Narnia, he sings creation into existence. He's singing you into existence. And so by way of benediction, may you simply surrender to the song. In Jesus' name, may you believe the gospel and live. Have a great Thanksgiving. And if you'd like prayer, members of the prayer team are down front here. They'd love to pray with you. Um, and then we'll see you uh, next week. All right. Feel free to hang out downstairs. If you're new, be sure to pick up an information packet. Um, give someone a hug that you don't know. And then you'll know them. All right. And I'll see you next week. Um, we have some amazing givers at our church. And it was through two investors that we were able to acquire this building. And uh, we really were looking for two years for a smaller building, but they were all too expensive and, we, expensive and we couldn't find any that worked. And so amazingly, we moved into this building saving $4,000 a month and not paying rent, but now having a mortgage. But still, so far this year, our income has been $140,000 less than our expenses, and it's been less than, less than last year. Um, and I don't think we should panic for several reasons, because giving always increases around uh, Christmas, and also because God's kingdom will come. I think he wants to use the sanctuary to do that. But if the giving doesn't happen, well, he'll do it another way. But I think he wants to do it this way. And so that's why I've asked you to pray about your giving as we go into the end of the year. Um, and I'm also saying this to our online community. I mean, this is kind of fascinating, but we probably have as many or more people that watch sermons online. So I ask these guys to record this little call for the offering because I, I want to ask, I wanted to ask you all uh, on, I don't know where the cameras are, online or in here to pray about giving because I do think God has called us to an amazing ministry. And ironically, our ministry is to preach to the world that Jesus really has paid it all. And uh, that's incredibly good news. So if we don't give, the kingdom of God will still come, but I think it will still come, but I think he, he wants to manifest his kingdom in this world uh, th through us. So anyway, as we take the offering, w would you give out of a heart of gratitude? And then would you also pray, Lord, what, what do you want me to give? And for some of you, I think that means uh, money. 
Uh, probably it means money for, for all of us in some form or another. It, it may be your time um, because, you know, in, the, in America we pay pastors, um, but that's not the way it has been with most of the world. People just volunteered for everything. And that's why I'd like you to fill out a green card or yellow card or a blue card uh, at some point and put it in the offering plate because, you see, that really is your offering. The other way that you can really give to our church is invite friends and, and family on November 15th for our open house. And that will help us. That would be, be great because we'd just love to invite more people into our fellowship. It would also solve our sound problems because the more large, soft people we have, the less of an echo we have in the sanctuary. So anyway, just give. I, I, I'm, I'm inviting you to give and do it out of a, a grateful heart, all right? Not out of panic or fear, but because you love the Lord and you want the world to know that he's good.